Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. I am your host, uh, Father Nathan Goebel, and with me here today is a newly minted uh, professor of biblical studies. Uh, His recent degree in biblical things has been granted, Uh magna cum laude. Today I have with me Father Michael Rapp from the Biblicum in Rome. Welcome, Father Michael. Thank you very much. This I feel like I'm on uh, Colorado Public Radio. NPR. Welcome. And I'm Robert Siegel. So yeah, we're uh, we're still rocking the podcast, uh, even though Father John has abandoned us, um, and Father Mike Rapp is back for the summer. Um, we uh, did just listen to the intro of Father John's last podcast. Beautiful. Uh, a tearjerker. Actually, I was, I don't know if you noticed, I was starting to get teary-eyed. It yeah. was... It I was, felt it too. It was a little bit of a lump. Oh, man. that It was a, it was a beautiful, uh, seamless kind of intro to the, to the last podcast. So the last one that he did was, what a long, strange trip it's been, and it's his vocation story in case you skipped that one. Um, but uh, I don't know if Becca, uh, so our new... Mix Downer, um, uh, John, Father John used to do that, but I have absolutely no idea how to do that. So now Becca Messel has joined the Catholic Stuff team, um, and so she, it was either her or Father John that put uh, Mer- Lady Merca's quote, Welcome to Catholic Stuff, right in the middle of that song, so it was really, really Perfect nice. mix. Thanks, Becca. Beautiful. So yeah, so anyways, we, we're, we're done reminiscing at this point, so Father John is soon to be a distant memory, as we are now on our third podcast without him, and we don't miss him at all. I just don't want to talk about it. Okay? You'll be all right. Be he's all right. doing well. I think he's doing well. He's mm-hmm. eating pasta, man. He's what, you're worried t- about him? He's living in Tuscany. Yeah, he's he's in Siena. At last we heard, he's in Siena. Uh which is a beautiful city, um, and he's studying Italian with 12 women. Mamma mia. Mamma mia. So Boulder and the 10,000 Virgins takes his show on the road. Internazionale. They say that the best way... Now, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but they say that the best way to learn a foreign language is to fall in love with someone, and then you have to... Okay, never mind. <laughs> this is not advice for you, Father John, if That's you're listening. Right. Fall in love with St. Catherine of Siena, yeah, patroness, yeah, yeah, yeah. patroness of Europe. I like that. All right. Well, so um, I got a couple of... You ready to roll? Uh, miscellaneous before starting into uh, a rather heady topic. Yes. Uh, well, the one is um, loafers, and then the other one is Facebook birthdays. Which one can I ask you about first? Both. Okay, so... Loafers. Uh uh, loafers, I, this is a new look for me. I'm sporting the... It's pretty smooth. Sporting the loafers. I like the look, but they get clammy inside. Ooh. And my feet stink after yeah. wearing them for a while. Mm, so okay. I didn't know if you had any advice about how to kind of uh, avoid the foot stink or not make it a punishment on everybody I'm around. Yeah. Do I have to not wear loafers? Um, Wicking socks. Um, If you don't have wicking socks, that certainly helps. Um... The other thing but is, but you can't. I don't. I don't want to wear socks. That's why I'm wearing loafers. Oh, that's part of your problem. Uh, your your sweat juice is just going straight into the shoe. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you got to have a little barrier action there. Uh, if you don't want to wear socks, why don't you just wear sandals? Yeah, 
Yeah, you're you're right. Okay. I don't know. I just thought it was a cool look and that they would be real comfortable. And they are comfortable. The other thing that I found is um so like dress socks like when they get clammy, it's the most disgusting feeling. Because there's like it's not like a lot of cotton on there. It's just like you have this like thin covering and then there's like this schmear that's in between <laughs> your foot and everything. And so what I did was I went out and bought you can get it at Kohl's. There are these Dockers uh, dress socks that have this orange stripe um, at the top of the sock and the bottom of the sock. Okay. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, like, it's just the right balance of enough cotton cushion and absorbent material that my feet don't feel really clammy. So maybe check that out. It's a little thicker than those. Yeah. Super thin oh, yeah. Things. I'll let you borrow some. All right. Um, and, the, and you know, you know if I can go on this for a while, but... Um, I hate folding socks. Hate it. So what I did was I cleaned out all of my sock drawer, and I only have those socks. So I have 16 pairs or 14 pairs of the same sock. So, like, it's a breeze you now. Found your, I just, you found the ticket. Now, I don't really fold socks. I kind of roll them up into a ball. That's fine. It keeps them, like, paired together and everything. But True. Okay. All right. So well, thanks for that. Okay. Um, Facebook the, birthdays. Facebook birthdays. So I get this new <laughs> phone for the summer, and it's just like a, a temporary thing, but um, it syncs everything into one, yeah, right? Yeah. I don't know. Everything's on a cloud anymore. It yeah. just updates very quickly. Uh, but it sends me a message every time there's like a something going on on anything Facebook. Ha- yeah. Yeah. Right. And I hate it because I don't want all those messages. There's a lot of people on there. And I'm getting a lot of these things. One of those things is the birthdays. And I've never known quite how to work that because you got a lot of people that are kind of acquaintances, yeah. Facebook friends, you know, yeah. they're not close friends. I don't see them all the time, but they're Facebook friends. Do Am I obligated to send them when I see this thing that says it's their birthday? It's nice to get birthday messages, but like, what's the level of obligation for that? And then... With the close friends, if I see it on there, it reminds me, but I feel like if I if I send them a birthday message on Facebook, that's really cheap. You got to call them. You got to, you know, go yeah. see them. Yeah. And by the time, usually by the time the, the Facebook message comes to my phone, or I actually don't have it on my phone. I don't know why you would even choose to have it on your phone. Um, but I got to turn it off. By the time I do see it on Facebook, and I'm on Facebook like once every three weeks if that um i'm like oh crap it was these people's birthdays if i do see it the day of i'm like well it's too late for me to even send them a card you know yeah so um what i would say is no you don't have to acknowledge every single person's birth if you are closer to them um and you know you send them a message okay great like you know there's gradations but like if it's like closest or closer friends slash family then it just bumps up into video message, especially for you, because you know you're out of the country. If you can give a call, great. Um, email, kind of, because you're in the position. But I mean, I I'm I like belated birthday messages. Those are always fun. All right, so you can you can still do it, but you don't have to. Not for everybody. You don't have to. No, I mean, like, you just put it in your intentions for mass. Just like, oh yeah, Lord, I want to offer part of my mass for this person today. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, so I guess I should say shout out to uh, Stephanie, my sister-in-law, whose birthday was July 4th. 
Um, Happy and birthday. Just FYI, it's only July 7th today, so I'm only three days late giving you uh, a greetings, but by the time this comes out, it'll be 26 days late. So, um, happy birthday, Stephanie. Happy birthday. She's 28. Congratulations. She's not 28. I don't, oh, yeah. <laughs> not good for you. Um, do you want to hear about, uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what this topic is named. Loafers and Facebook friends. Loafers and Facebook friends and first century Judaism. The background for the New Testament. Nice. And for understanding Jesus. Okay. So it's uh, related to what I study. And um, I study a lot of history and languages to understand the Bible. Um, And one of the more fascinating things that I've run into is the kind of exploring the question, what is Judaism around the time of Jesus? So you read the Gospels all the time. And we're very familiar with that, uh, that literature, those stories. But it can help to kind of build the picture of Jesus' time, uh, who he's interacting with, um, the certain culture, all the dynamics by, when, when we know history, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I study history, and I want to teach just kind of some, some basics about that um, today. All right. Huh? I'm down. So, well, the first point is uh, just kind of an exhortation. Read the Bible, Everybody out there, read that Bible. Read that Bible, and I know that's been said on the on the podcast before, and I'm happy to repeat that. We get a lot of the Bible in lectionary, but not um, not enough. Not everything. Plus, you learn a lot by uh, reading it through. I mean, the the Gospels were written to be uh, read and proclaimed in the liturgy, but uh, all of these stories are connected, and then we we pick them apart in order to plug them into our mass and um, to teach about them, preach about them. And sometimes we can miss stuff. Lose Um, the context. We can lose the context. Yeah. So read them, read them regularly. Try to read every day uh, in the Bible. Read that Bible. No, we, I I was showing father Mike a passage from Balthazar's who is a Christian the other day. And he has a section in there on the Bible. And he says that, for many years, uh, people, we had put a barbed wire around the scriptures saying to people like, if you're not, you're not going to understand this, so don't even open it up. Um, and it was almost like uh, the analogy that he used is uh, the analogy from Exodus where M- God tells Moses, do not allow the people to even come near the mountain or even touch it lest they die. Um so that's that's not the case with the scriptures these days. I mean, it's it's open to our reading and our uh, reception, but for a lot of people, it's like I've got enough. I hear it on Sunday, you know, or something like that. But if you start to know the Bible and like allow it to sink into you, it really does change like your perspective, and especially the Old Testament too. Um, a lot of times, people just want to stay in kind of Pauline epistles or something so that they have something cute to put on their Facebook wall um, or their Instagram page. Um, but nobody's putting like, you know, do not eat the kidneys of sea urchins mm-hmm. on their you know Facebook page. Reading so. Amos. Reading Amos. Um, yeah, that's great. And it's, it's an incredible source of prayer. A lot of people say, I don't hear God talking to me. And uh, huh, here, yeah. here's God's word. Right. You know? Open it up, listen, pay attention and, uh, you know, God will speak through that. Okay, so a little background, though, uh, a little context to help. Um, there are four sources for understanding, uh, four main sources for understanding New Testament 
uh, background and history. Um, Brian Larkin. Well, he's, yeah. He's one of the sources. He's secondary. Okay, secondary source. Secondary source. Uh, the primaries are Philo, a theologian and philosopher oh, I see. Yeah. from Alexandria, yeah. who, uh, a Jewish um, uh, allegorist. So he would speak about philosophy and use Greek philosophy and then apply it to Judaism. Uh-huh. And um, he's really interesting, but sometimes hard to understand. But he gives a lot of details about what's going on during his time. Sure. And he lived uh, just before Jesus, and uh, kind of their, live, their lives just overlapped. He would have been an adult when Jesus was a child. He's pretty much like the Rick Steves of the ancient world. Yeah, he gives you a little tour. Exactly. You get to see Alexandria in Egypt. Okay, so that's Philo. Today, we're in Copenhagen. Rick Steves. Philo. Philo. I don't know enough about Rick Steves. Oh, come on. Second one. Okay, second one. Josephus. Josephus. Nice. Flavius Josephus is a historian. He was a commander of the the army in Galilee Mm -hmm. during the war between um, the Jewish people and, uh, or, yeah, well, the Jewish people and the Romans. Uh, he lost a big battle to Vespasian, who was a commander who later became emperor. And Vespasian, then, oh Vespasian, and then um, and then finally lost. Uh, they they lost a battle, and then the, the Jerusalem uh, temple was destroyed in seventy A.D. Uh-huh. People were deported. Flavius Josephus was taken to Rome and given a house by Vespasian, who was at, by that time emperor, nice. and then asked to uh, to. St- to study and to report the history of the Jews. So he wrote um, three works on Judaism and the history of Judaism, and then uh, one work, uh, one autobiography. So his stuff is really helpful um, to get the history. Um, it's not always super reliable. Sometimes you have to sort through Josephus's details, and he exaggerates figures, but um, it is very interesting to read. Sure. Okay. So there's that guy. Uh, then there's uh, literature. You can find out what were people reading, what were people studying at the time of Jesus. And a lot of that is our Old Testament. But there's also a lot of uh, other literature that, um, that people were reading, and that was informing what Judaism is. Uh, some of those books are grouped in two, under two terms called Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha. Oh, Okay. So if you go look at, look for those, there are going to be books that are Jewish, that are somehow related, but are not included in the Old Testament. Okay? So okay. That's just... But we do have some apocryphal literature in the Old Testament. It's, it's called apocryphal by right. the Protestants. But we would recognize certain books of the Bible as, um, as authentically part of the canon. Right. Whereas other people would describe them as apocryphal, right? Right. You're the so, Bible scholar. Right, yeah. I mean, we'll have to do a, a podcast on the canon. And I think we we may have done that in the past. But we can revisit that. Um, one, yeah, so one thing like First and Second Maccabees, which you'll find in a Catholic Bible. Yes. Is often called apocryphal because it, it, ha- it was written during that time yeah. uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And sure. it's not... Um, it's not necessarily a normative part of our lectionary cycle, so we don't we use it. We 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 read that. Yeah, but then, we see it as divinely inspired. Yes, okay. absolutely. Um, but then there's all these other books that we don't okay. consider inspired, and that's apocryphal, apocrypha, and pseudepigrapha. Pseudepigrapha. Okay, and those are kind of 
it would be hard to distinguish. If you're looking for a new name for your uh, third child, Pseudopigrapha is probably not a good one to go with, but it sounds kind of cool. Yeah, people would be impressed. That'll probably be your first name for your pet. That would be really... I think it will give the elementary school teachers difficulty pronouncing and calling for these. A-A-Ron. Father Matt Book... I'm trying to remember what that was. I remember seeing some YouTube. Father Matt Book just sent me an email last night saying, have you ever heard of Key and Peel? Which is so funny Ah, because we're always like so far behind everyone else as priests, but he sent sent me the YouTube of the substitute teacher, uh, which is from Key and Peel, which is really funny. Anyways. Look it up. Um, sorry, you're moving on. Sorry, I, yeah, the four sources to, to understand. Okay, four sources: Philo, Josephus, uh, Apocrypha, or intertestamental literature, uh-huh. and the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, uh, oh, that's the fourth. Yeah. Okay, the so fourth in the uh, 1950s, and over for for the uh, between 1957 and over the next decade, um, eleven caves were discovered with scrolls. Is that wrong? How much of a big deal was that? Oh, it's huge. Huge. It is huge. We're still trying to, to sort out what exactly was going on huh. down by the Dead Sea. But these scrolls were produced, written. Uh, they're copies of books that were, uh, that were copied between 200 years before Jesus and 100 years after Jesus. Hmm. So a lot of work is being done right now, kind of translating those things, understanding them, sorting out... Um, trying to understand what was going on down there by, uh, by those caves. Uh, okay, so that's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of them are books of the Bible, the Old Testament, uh-huh. and uh, so they give us a lot of information about... Um, they're the earliest records of the Old Testament. And we they have. were written in... Hebrew, mostly. Hebrew, yeah. okay. There's some in Aramaic, uh-huh. and then pieces in Greek, but it's mostly Hebrew. Yeah. Okay, so those Dead Sea Scrolls... And you've seen source. them. Yeah, I've seen some some pieces. You can go online and find all the Dead Sea Scrolls digitized and uh, online. I forget the website. But anyway, okay, so those are the four sources of history. Got it. And then here's one of the things that they provide us with information about, okay. which is what did Judaism look like during the time of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Josephus and Philo both report that there are three different philosophies of Judaism, or three different ways of being Jewish in Palestine uh-huh. during the time of Jesus. Do okay. you know what they would be? Messianic? Uh, that's good. That, that's, that's a good guess. Uh, there is a group that's Messianic, but that's not how they listen. They, they're characters in the Gospels as well. Characters. Jesus butts heads with some of these. The Sadducees. Okay, good. Sadduceic. Pharisaic. Pharisees, good. And Essenic. Yes, and the Essenes, who really? don't show up. Nice! Who don't show up in the Gospels, but we'll get back to that. Yeah. So you got Sadducees, Pharisees, and Essenes. Essenes. Those, these three different philosophies, okay. as Josephus and Philo call them. Uh, the Sadducees are a small group of aristocratic Jews who are in charge of the temple, mostly. Um, but also in politics, and they take high positions. They rejected um, the resurrection. The resurrection of the body. Do you know how I know that? Because Jeff Caven says that they are they're Sadducees because they reject the resurrection. So they're sad. Oh, you see, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's I the like only that way one. I know it. 
I forgot that, but I had heard that. They're sad, you see. Sad, you see. Okay, so those sad, you sees reject the res- resurrection. Reject, reject the resurrection, and they also reject um, the divine will uh, as playing a part in human interaction. So there's no for them. There's no fate. Hmm. Everything is up to our own will and sure. our own doing. Every mistake we make, every good thing that happens, it's about us. So they're not just saying that they reject the resurrection. Meaning, like, the fact of the resurrection after it happened, Jesus actually rising from the dead. But they would follow a, a more long-standing tradition in the Jews, which is that it's this life. There is no life to come. There is no afterlife, right? Right. Okay. So that's debated. There are, there are pieces, uh, it, it's evident that Jews were believing in a resurrection of the body 200 years before that. If you read Daniel, you see uh, right, but Bacchus. it's a later. If you read the if you read the later scriptures in the Old Testament, that's when the development of a possibility of an afterlife is really explored. Right. Okay, and, and that's cool. Earlier on, sometimes there's talk of Sheol, things like that. Sure, but that can be complicated. The resurrection, yeah, for the Sadducees, okay. it's not going to happen. Uh, Pharisees. Then you have the Pharisees. Pharisees are uh, very de- devout. They're very disciplined. They pay attention to the law and try to live it well. Um, Paul was a Pharisee. Gamaliel, his teacher, is a Pharisee. Uh, There are a lot of good examples of Pharisees, and they were very well respected. Josephus and Philo both say that they were very popular among the people. That if the people wanted authorities, they didn't really trust the Sadducees and and the the appointed leaders, the high priests uh, Mm -hmm. who were Sadducees. But they really did trust the Pharisees who they respected for their knowledge of the scriptures and of the Mosaic law and their uh, disciplined practice of religion. All right. Um, So the Pharisees, they believed in um, fate. They believed in the resurrection of the body. They believed in angels and divine spirits Hmm. and and talked about those things and um, paid attention to those things. Okay. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees are both kind of popular characters in the Gospels, right? We know about them. Jesus contends with them about various things. And in particular ways, uh, he contends with the high priests about authority and um, lording their authority over people, uh, and also um, their their lack of faith in the resurrection. And then uh, contends with the Pharisees about sweating small stuff and being legalistic yeah. and uh, being Whose wife will she be in the afterlife? Yeah, That's questions. a Pharisaic question. Yeah. Not just a Sadducee question. Is that right? right? Sadducee? How would you say it? I- yeah, that sounds good. You like it? You like it? I like it. You like it? It's a pun. Yes. What is the yes? Yes. Um, Essenes. Essenes are okay. the are the third. Um, they are hard to pin down because they're not in the Gospels. You don't hear the word Essenes. You don't see Jesus interacting with people uh-huh. called Essenes. Uh, the word just generally means uh, holy holy people. You know, they're tr- people who are trying to be holy. But we also have a, a picture from Josephus and Philo that uh, make it very specific, that this was a group that numbered about the same amount as the Pharisees. This was a big, big group of people. Hmm. Uh, they say about 4,000 people in the land, and they say Pharisees are 6,000. Uh, the Sadducees are just um, like a couple hundred. So a big group of people, they avoid cities, they uh, live in, in the country, in the villages. Uh, they share all things in common, so they don't have their own personal possessions, but they share everything in common. 
and that, and they try to avoid the temptations of money. They say a lot of things about um, the problem of money. Okay. Um, they live celibacy. So it's not a hippie commune. It's not exactly <laughs> a hippie, not a modern hippie commune. So they live celibacy. They live celibacy. They don't reject marriage as bad in itself, but they were trying to have uh, an example of how uh, they these Jews were Messianic Jews. They were expecting God to uh, provide a Messiah and come back and renew Judaism and set them um, set them free from um, the political in, in their own time and religious confusion in their own time. So they were waiting, and they say we don't need to have families and progeny because um, it's going to happen now. And okay. so they were standing standing their ground. Uh, there was also things about the celibacy that uh, they didn't trust sexuality and were kind of nervous about um, sexuality and how it affects virtue and uh, the ability to be a religious person. Okay. Okay. So they, uh, they got that. They didn't, they rejected the temple. Uh, oh. They didn't do temple sacrifices, but they would uh, get together in synagogues and uh, in gatherings and then uh, pay attention especially to uh, spiritual sacrifices. They would talk about making spiritual sacrifices with prayer and um, kind of personal devotion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these Essenes should be, hopefully I'm building a picture that sounds a lot like the earliest Christians. Uh, in Acts of the Apostles, you have this community that's devoted to each other in yeah. love, mm-hmm. who um, there's an ambiguity about how they relate to the temple, they um, are, are practicing celibacy. At least Paul uh, firmly um, sure. embraces celibacy, and then it becomes a tradition. And exhorts others to it. And exhorts others. And they share all things in common, right? Okay. Uh-huh. And so they kind of take off of, off of the pattern of uh, the Essenes that way. One of the things the gospel writers do is to um, marvel at the fact that Jesus can address all these different kinds of people. So he doesn't pick a camp and then become an example of how best to live that camp. But he looks at all, all of these different groups of Jews and says, um, this is, you are welcome into this renewal of the people of God that he is uh, bringing about with his death and resurrection. He's reaching across the aisle. He's reaching across. I, th- I think of it like as an early Catholicism, right? Yeah. You know? Universality. Right. He's trying to appeal to everyone and trying to bring them into union as children of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you got those three groups, you got these Essenes. So the question becomes, why don't we hear about the Essenes in the New Testament? If they're making up half of the population of, of uh, the, the Holy Land at the time of Jesus, they're an important reality in um, Ju- Judaism of the time, why don't we hear about them in the New Testament? Because the rapture actually happened, Mike. And all the Essenes go up. All the Essenes go up, and we're like we're left with Kirk Cameron. That could have been. Okay, that's an option. That's an option. You're always dealing with mystery when you study history. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, do a lot of them become Christian? Yeah. Well, that's I, the that's the theory. That is a theory. Okay. Some said that it just died out because when the temple well, was destroyed, well, if they're not if they're not procreating, they're definitely going to die out. Right. They're they're not procreating. Maybe they were disappointed with the fact that. Uh, what they were expecting didn't happen. But I think what's most likely is that they were the first Christians. Well, another another thing is, isn't isn't there some evidence that would say John the Baptist was a member of the Essene community? 
Yeah. Is that right? His asceticism, celibacy, sure. a lot of his message is very similar to Okay. So then maybe when John the Baptist died, they were like, we thought he was the Messiah. And then, you know, and that's part of the reason why John sends his disciples, people who are probably from the Sicilian community, to Jesus to ask him the question like, are you the one or should we follow another? Yeah. What do you think about that? I think so. In Acts, you hear a lot about the followers of John the Baptist converting to Christianity. And so I think, I think, yeah, that this was widespread, and I think they were very sensitive and kind of open to this gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Through John the Baptist and his uh, prophecy. But you're saying that many of the members of the Essene community converted to Christianity. I think so. But one it's question... It's hard I, to prove. One question I would have is, if they're out in the country, how did they hear about Jesus's... Uh, death and resurrection, and then at Pentecost, when Saint Peter like proclaims the 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 news of kind of you know the salvation that is that is here present now, um, and then all these people are baptized, they wouldn't necessarily be the Essenes, would they? Or would they have gone out and kind of brought them in? Right. Well, that's a it's a good point. You have people from all over the world and. F- Philo and Josephus say that the Essenes are of Jewish ethnic descent. Uh So, yeah, something at Pentecost was different than just the Essenes. Now, there was an Essene quarter in Jerusalem. So, I'm not sure how... Jerusalem wasn't a huge city. And so, maybe when they say they they dwell in the villages, Jerusalem can be included in that decision. Or they just had... You know, they just had some spot in Jerusalem. And that was like an exception because of Holy City. I'm not sure about that. But... The gospel was preached to a lot of villages. Jesus went to yeah. uh, all the villages in the Galilee and uh, really avoided the bigger cities. Um, there were some. There was a capital city of, of Galilee, Tiberias, that we never hear about in the gospels. Uh, and so there's speculation yeah. hmm. about whether Jesus himself was kind of following this particular philosophy. They weren't like denominations where you sign up or something. It was just a way of thinking, a way of being... Hmm. Uh, religious at the time. Um, what was I going to ask? Which one of the disciples, which one of the apostles, which one of the figures from the Old Testament, or from the from the time of Jesus, I mean, maybe not just John the Baptist, but which one would you say was probably a member of the Essene community? Because hmm. like Simon the Zealot, probably not. Yeah, not the Zealot. Not the Zealot. Okay, Peter? No? We know I her. Yeah, I don't think really the, the Galileans... Had uh, I, I don't know if the apostles were. Um, it's hard to tell, but hmm. because Peter and Andrew were close disciples of John the Baptist... Um, Andrew or, and Philip. Or Andrew and Philip, and then through Andrew, Peter, um, there's a possibility that they could have had more influence. And we're not absolutely sure that John the Baptist was associated with the Assyrians, sure. but it's probably likely. So maybe those, those guys. Andrew and Nathaniel, my boy. And Nathaniel. That's right. Philip, Philip, w- God. Philip went and found Nathaniel. Andrew went and found Peter. Nathaniel yeah. was just chilling under a fig tree. Oh yeah, he hangs. That's right. Without guile. That's right. So that's uh, that's some first century Jewish history. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm getting back into that. I'm getting back into the podcast. Yeah, that's and good. One of the things that's going to have to happen slowly is that uh, I can. Uh, 
kind of work through my nerding out over the last three years. Yeah. And be able to, I don't know, bring it to an audience. Right. Related to people. But I do think this stuff can be really interesting, this sort of... uh, Oh, yeah. Some of the technical history stuff. You definitely have some milk that you have, you know, collected, and now it's time to... A little nourishment for the children. A little nourishment, yeah. They need milk, not meat. So, and probably... I've been just been giving them like what was it called? Sour Patch Kids Candy. for the last. <laughs> I've been giving them watermelon sorbet. Sour Patch Kids for the last like mm. two years. So big league chew, big league chew. So yeah, is that it? That's all. That's oh, all that's I really helpful. That's good. That's a manageable bite of biblical history. Yeah, a little biblical history. Good. I my my uh, theory when we started the show was eight minutes, eight to ten minutes. You remember that? Yeah. And uh, part yeah. of that was just. My st- my style is uh, that's about all, all I can focus on. Uh-huh. I'm a little ADD and sure, random. Um, but now you so I might look I how might, you've grown. I might have like uh, whatever eight minutes worth of content, and then we have to. There's usually only about eight minutes of content, but you just you're panning for gold here, people. You know, you look just gotta you gotta filter it. All right, look for those nuggets. All right, so you got any shout outs? Shout outs, I do. I want to hear about this cat. Well, I want to shout out, yeah, a couple of Australian priests who I've become friends with in in Rome. Uh, They've gone back to Australia, but uh, Father Michael Gallagher, who is an an all-star chaplain to our University of Mary group and was a a listener for a while. I hope he's still listening. i got to ask him. But um, Yeah. uh, He had studied canon law. We were close friends. We prayed together and and hung out. And then uh, Father Anthony Denton, who um, was rector of the the Australian House oh, in wow. Rome, and then was doing doctoral work, and is a great great priest. His brother's also a priest. That's that's fun. Um, he's a wise man and also a kickboxer. Really? Yeah. Like, but he loves the show. Like Father, like Jose Sabas Cortes Serrano. He was a seminarian for Redemptorist Mater, and he was a kickboxer. I hope I can say that. Father Anthony, forgive me if I've. Oh, he just wanted to keep that under wraps, just in case anybody ever like challenged him. He was going to give him a roundhouse face, kind of kick to the face. Um, That's uh, that's my shoutouts. Do you know what diocese they're from? Uh, Melbourne. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, I only know one priest. Well, I know two priests from Australia. Um, Father Nestor, um, who I believe was a legionnaire. Um, but he may be affiliated with the diocese now. Father Nestor was at University of Illinois, and one of the first priests I ever met with, kind of regularly, not exactly spiritual direction, but kind of just like, you know, do you mind if we get together and talk? And uh, he said, okay, Nathan, um, for for kind of the conclusion of our meeting, why don't we pray together the Magnificat? And I said, I have no idea what that is. And he said, oh, yeah, it's this prayer. You should memorize it. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, it's really long, and there's no way I could ever memorize it. How many words? I don't even know. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but uh, so Father Nestor was the one that said, oh, yeah, you can pray the Magnificat. And, and so every once in a while, I think about it whenever I, I just bust it out uh, for evening prayer. Don't even open up my breviary. Um, Where's he from? He's from Australia. I just know he's from oh, yeah. Australia. But the other priest is Father Mark Di Battista, 
Uh, oh yeah, sure, I know him. Oh no, I think Father Nestor was Opus Dei. Anyways, uh, but Father Mark Di Battista is Opus Dei, um, and his he's originally from Malta. Um, his family's from Malta, um, and uh, but he's a priest of uh, Wollongong, uh, Australia. I think. Wagga Wagga. Wollongong. Wollongong. Maybe I don't know. I I Father Mark was studying scripture with me in Rome. Really? Yeah, he was out there for. Oh wow! A while. Yeah. I think he might still be. Or he may have just finished his degree. Oh, cool. There's a there's a diocese with I think the 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 name that's the most fun of any diocese in the world. Uh huh. Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga. Diocese of Wagga Wagga in Australia. Very small, out in the country. With the bishop, uh, what's his name? Fonzie. Who says that? Waka Waka. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> waka Waka. Uh yeah. Is that Fonzie? Yeah. The Muppet. It's the Muppet. I. Yeah. Is he like Fozzie? It's not Fonzie. Fozzie? It's what not about Fo- the monster? Isn't there one? The Fonz is from Happy Days. Fozzie is the Muppet, Muppet. not Fonzie. <laughs> Look that. Whatever. Up. Um, yeah. Well, hey, any of these priests down in Australia, uh, if you ever want to, like, you know, just like raise money and you know, fly out Catholic stuff to do, you know, something for your diocese, I would love to go yeah. to Melbourne. <laughs> Anyways, so, yeah, you guys are great. Thanks for listening. Anything else? No. All right. That's it. Till next time. I know. I'm, I'm, all, I'm fresh God out of shout outs. So um, we'll, we'll collect some for next week. So Catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook. We'll see you then. Blessings. See you, Father John. Love you. Bye.